Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. So uh, without further ado, I want to turn it over to John Carlos, who, okay, so in the beginning of this sermon series, I was like, John Carlos, um, like, I want to hear you preach in this sermon series. And he preached a knockout, amazing sermon on mental health and response. Uh, do you all remember that mental health sermon? If you do, uh, put an exclamation point in the chat. Wow, amazing. And now he's back. So everyone give it up. All the uh, exclamation points and flame emojis and hearts in the comments for John Carlos. Uh, today we are continuing our series titled, Did Jesus Police? And we've been having this ongoing conversation, uh, a non-naive Christian analysis of defunding the police. And today we're looking at something really specific. Um, something that for me is, is not theoretical, uh, it has flesh and blood. Something for me is not an idea, it has names and faces. Uh, today, we're looking at immigration, ICE and Jesus. And as we get started on this topic, I wanna to be really, really honest with you. Um, as I look at the scriptures, as we will look at the scriptures today, we're gonna to find out that Jesus is not neutral about the stranger. Yeah. We're gonna to discover today that Jesus is not apolitical when it comes to the immigrant. Yeah, we, we're going to find out today that Jesus is not in the middle between the empire and the stranger. Our God has taken a side. And as we are going to discover today, Jesus is on the side of the stranger. Yeah. And so ultimately, the question before us will not be simply, what does God think about the stranger? We're going to look at that. Ultimately, the question before us is, how will we treat the stranger, not only as individuals, but as a community, and not only as a community, but as a country. Yeah, yeah, God is on the side of the stranger, which begs the question, what side are we on? Yeah, yeah, and so as we get started and looking into this, uh, this message, uh, I wanna share a little bit about my story. Um, because the first question I wanna ask is, what is it like to be a stranger? What is it like to be a stranger in our country today? Yeah, so uh, I am uh, from Puerto Rico. Yo soy puertorriqueño. I'm a proud Puerto Rican. Um, and uh, I lived in Puerto Rico. I was born in Puerto Rico. And at the age of six, my parents told me we were moving to the United States, which was scary and exciting. I mean, I'd heard of the United States. I heard of New York. I've heard of Miami, like I heard of Orlando, that's where Disney World is. Like I like I'd heard of the US. And so I remember <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this with your family where you find out that you're moving before you find out where you're moving. Um and I remember asking, I was like, where are we moving? And and my parents told me, uh, we're moving to a place called Iowa. And uh <laughs> I had no idea what Iowa was going to be like. I had no idea uh, that Iowa didn't have any beaches. Uh, I had no idea that Iowa was super cold. Uh, and, and I remember our family, you know. Uh, I hope we get to show a picture here uh, of my family when we arrived at the Des Moines airport uh, on October 27th of the year 2000. Um, this year we're going to be celebrating 20 
years in the United States. And, uh, and yep, that's, that's me, I, my older brother and my mom and my dad. Um, and, and I remember, uh, coming here, I mean, we were really scared, right? Cause, um, we we're coming in, flying into Des Moines and the closest word in Spanish to Des Moines is demonio, which uh, literally means demon. Uh, it means demon. Um, so why why did you name a town after demons? Uh, uh, we can email Iowa about that later. Um, and I, I remember we arrived and we, we moved into Ames, which was a college town. Um, and we started this new life. We started this new adventure, uh, not knowing how it would impact us, not knowing how it would shape us. And I remember leaving, leaving all my family, all my friends, going to school. What is it like to be a stranger? Yeah, and I remember going to school, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, just really struggling. Like, I remember the first two years were so hard, I actually was held back a grade. Um, and now while I'm, I was still the same age as the people after that process, um, I remember just the shame of not getting it, of, of having difficulty understanding the language, having difficulty understanding the culture, not knowing how to do assignments, not knowing how to adapt. Yeah. I remember struggling in school. I remember my parents uh, figuring out what their jobs looked like. I remember they, in Puerto Rico, they were professionals, right? Right. My mom was a nurse with years of experience. My dad was an accountant, right? And, and when they got here, they, they stopped. They were no longer professionals, right? Because when you go to a different country, they have different certifications and rules and tests you have to take and things you have to do and qualifications you have to meet before you can be a professional. So my, my mom went from being a nurse and taking care of patients to uh, cleaning um, uh, hotel rooms. Um, and, and my dad went from being an accountant and having something to bring in. And he, he started out cleaning uh, and setting up uh, chairs and tables for an event center. And I, I remember our family and, 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 and not having, you know, we went from having a home to, to, to being in a townhouse with no furniture, not, with like foldable chairs. And and, and and we discovered what it was like to be a stranger. Yeah. Yeah, do you know what it's like to be a stranger? And I remember um, when we got here, uh, uh, figuring out what to do with my name, right? That when you come into a new country, right? No one could pronounce my name. <laughs> my name is Jean Carlos Diaz Ramos. And then, uh, and, and, and then people would be like, uh, why is your name Jean? That's a girl's name. And, and why do you have two names? Can I just call you Carlos? And like, I, I would get all this, like, imagine being seven, right? And trying to figure out. And we come into a new place and we have to negotiate our identity once again. We have to negotiate our names again. We have to figure out what we'll give up so we can function and fit in. And, and then years later, realize what was never worth sacrificing. Yeah, what, is it, what does it feel like to be a stranger in our country? And I remember going through these experiences and I, I remember living in a neighborhood not surrounded by white people, but actually surrounded by the international students and their families. And so I had friends, I had this experience where I had friends from everywhere in the world, uh, West Africa, South America, East Asia, right? I had friends that were Mongolian, South Korean, uh, Argentinian, right? Mexican, Brazilian, like uh, Egyptian. I had, I had friends from everywhere. Um, and, and I met other strangers. And I met their families and I ate in their homes and I was, and I played with their, I played with them in the, in the playground and in our neighborhood. And, and I learned not only what it meant to be a stranger from, from my experience, but I learned what it meant to be a stranger 
from their experience. Yeah. What is it like to be a stranger in our country? Yeah. And, and over time, I would get to meet more strangers. I would get to meet more immigrants. I would get to meet people whose lives and stories intersected mine and I got to see their journey. Yeah, yeah. But as I walked on this journey and I, and I, and I met more people, I, I started to recognize that my story was not everyone else's story. Um, that actually there was a group of immigrants that, um, that had a journey that was much, much more difficult than mine. And I, and I, I had the, the, the blessing and the privilege of, of knowing uh, undocumented immigrants. And, and I realized, like sometimes we all realize, that something that I thought was normal was actually a privilege. That something I thought was ordinary and that everyone had was actually something that I had that a large number of people didn't. I realized that my US citizenship was a privilege. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a quick history lesson. Uh, thanks to colonialism. Yeah, colonialism. You know, put some comments down if you love colonial. Just kidding. Um, so thanks to colonialism, um, Puerto Rico is like property of like the United States. And so being born there, I was a U.S. citizen. And, and I would encounter people who, who weren't U.S. citizens. Actually, I would encounter people that not only had issues and struggles of visas, but um, would give anything to be a U.S. citizen. I, 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 if I could put into words, um, there are things that didn't mean anything to me that wouldn't mean everything to them. I, if, if I could put into words how meaningful, how significant it would be for some in our community to just have a social security number, all right? If I could put that into words, but I can't, right? And, and I would meet people, I would meet people who came here because of natural disasters, of earthquakes. I, I, I met people that, that, that came here because of economic turmoil in their country. I met people that were fleeing violence, right? I would learn that being a refugee and having refugee status are two very different things. I would learn that coming here legally isn't an option for millions. Yeah, yeah, I would learn about visa programs and people that came here legally that, that, that live in constant fear of their visa expiring and not being renewed. And I, I would meet people and I would, and I would have something happen in my heart where it went from being a theory to, to, to being a person. It went from being an idea or a policy and it having a name, right? I would, I would encounter people, right? And, and do life with people. Sometimes it was friends. Sometimes it was people at church. Sometimes it was people on dates, right? Sometimes it, it, it was people uh, that were so close to me, right? Who were so affected by this, who, who as I learned their story, had to live in fear. Um, fear of, of, of their own city, fear of their own community, fear of their own government, fear of the police fear of ice. And I, I, I realized that my experience wasn't theirs. And that actually they were treated much differently than I was. And I, and I came to realize that we treat the stranger very poorly in our country, right? And that's not just to mention um, the person who is uh, president today, right? Right, you, we know that we have a president who ran on deporting every illegal immigrant and one and not only one but one 81 percent of the white evangelical vote right we have a president who ran who ran 
on banning Muslims, something that is clearly unconstitutional and like evil. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and who won? And who won with 81% of white evangelical vote, right? We have a president who's made it his policy to instead of treating undocumented immigrants to the civil courts, instead of doing that, chose to treat them in criminal courts and detain them as if they had committed uh, a, a large crime, right? Like we have a president who who's expressed policy, right? We have more documents about this now, was to separate parents from their children as a way to terrorize them and other immigrants who may come after them, right? We have a president who um, has continued um, to think that uh, attacking immigrants is is a political expedient thing to do, right? Um, but that's 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 politics for me. It became physical for me. It became people that I know, that I love, that I am I I, I do life with. Like I I remember knowing a family who who came into this country, and and they were just doing their best. They were they were fleeing economic. Um, circumstances in their country, they wanted something better for their family. And so they came to this country without documents, right? And, and, and I remember hearing about them and the work that they did and the, the ways that they adapted and the ways that they lived together so that they could build a life for themselves. And I remember they eventually were able to get a home. And that was a huge step. It was such an important step for them um, and their family. And I remember hearing that they were starting to have problems with their neighborhood administrator, that uh, the, their kids, their teenage uh, high school students were being harassed on the way from the bus to their home, yelled at, cursed at, not by a random, not by a random neighbor, but, but by the person in charge of their neighborhood, um, asking them, yelling at them why they weren't registered. Now, uh, they would eventually go to their office yeah, he would go to the office to try to fix that, right? Because they had bought the home and they had registered it under a, a different family member's name. And uh, and so they, according to this neighborhood's rule, they had to get registered in, 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 in that neighborhood. So they, they're like, okay, we'll do that. Absolutely. What do you need? And so the administrator asked for their documents, their passports, their IDs from their country. And so they willingly give, right? They willingly provide so that they can be okay, so they can be in the right standing. And, and so they scan their passports and after the process is over, uh, the family asks, so are we, are we good? Um, and the neighborhood administrator turns to them and says, actually, um, I'm going to give you till noon to get the hell out of this neighborhood. Uh, and if I see you or any of your family here um, afternoon, I'm going to call the police. I'm going to contact ICE. And I'm going to give them these very nice scans I have of your passports, photos, and names. How do we treat the stranger in our country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because the most basic part of community safety, the most basic responsibility of a city is around the question of who do you call? when something goes wrong? Who do you call when someone abuses an employee? Who do you call when someone mistreats someone in a family? Who do you call when there's a problem or a conflict? Who do you call when there's, where, where there's an issue, right? And, and I discovered and I learned that there are millions of 
people in our country made in the image of God who have no one to call. I learned that they, who are you going to call? The police? They might get more in trouble with the police, right? They're not going to call ICE. They're not going to call the government. And so what happened in that situation? Well, they fled. A family left the home that they had bought, left all their stuff that they had, and got in the car as quickly as possible and fled their own home. Why? Because they had no one to call. How do we treat the stranger? How do we treat the stranger in our country? Um, yeah, yeah, and I, I remember meeting people. I remember meeting people who were uh, DACA recipients who came here at the age of two or three, um, and, 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 and finding out years later after meeting them that, that, that DACA had been rescinded by our president. And, and it wasn't just a policy that was changed. It was a name for me. It was a face for me, and I mourned that their difficult life was now about to get harder, right? There's something that happens when it goes from an idea to a person. There's something that happens that goes from a policy to an individual you know and you love. Yeah, how do we treat the stranger? So uh, today, I want to look at just that. Um, and I want to look at scripture. I want to look at what God has to say about the immigrants. Because I'm going to be real honest with you. He is not, God is not unclear, right? God is not unclear. Like, uh, it, it, this, is, this is not just like a, a progressive, like woke idea. This is a biblical principle. God is on the side of the stranger. Yeah, yeah. And I, I looked, I looked throughout the scripture. It's in Genesis and it's in Revelation and it's in the law, it's in the prophets, it's in the gospels, right? And I thought, what, could I, what text could I use to help show us that God is on the side of the stranger and show us the kind of community and city that we could build, right? And man, I could do that uh, through many texts, right? I could look at the gospels where Jesus says, when you welcome the stranger, you're actually welcoming me. And when you reject the stranger, you're not rejecting someone from Guatemala. You're rejecting Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Or, or with the epistles that say, don't, for, don't forget to be hospitable to the stranger, right? For by doing so, some have even entertained angels saying like, actually, so actually when you, when you love and take care of the stranger, some of you will find, your, find yourself not, not, not just giving, but receiving something. Yeah. You, it's not just you have something to give them. Actually, you have something to learn from them. You have something to gain from their experience and their journey. Yeah, yeah. So we can look at Revelation where there's a city that's filled with people, right? A new city filled with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people. Yeah, but today I don't want to do that. <laughs> today I want to look at everybody's favorite book of the Bible. I'm talking about Leviticus, hashtag Leviticus. If you, again, if you love Leviticus, just in the comments, just Leviticus, you know? Um, no, I'm just like, I want to talk to you about Leviticus. Why? Because I think Leviticus is like a double slap to the face, right? I think Leviticus is a statement because why, <laughs> why does a book written 2,500 years ago more woke, more progressive, more radical than the United States in the year 2020. Why is Leviticus more progressive than we are right now? Yeah, and I, I want to look at that. 
I'm going to look at that. Now, just a quick pro tip on using the Bible. So there's a New Testament and there's the Old Testament. Now, they're, they're not the same, right? Like, we, we find out that the law, we find out that the Old Testament uh, is described as a shadow of something greater, right? A shadow of something greater. It points to something greater. It's good, right? We can still see some of God in the Old Testament for sure, but it's incomplete. It's a shadow, right? You can see some of the shapes. It's a little fuzzy, but it's ultimately pointing to something greater because the law is actually a shadow to something greater. And that greater thing, the flesh and blood thing it's pointing to is Jesus. So if we want to know what love looks like, if we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. But the Old Testament is still a shadow. So again, we're going to be looking at a chapter, right? that has some really amazing thoughts about this. And and yet, right, and yet, there are some things in the Old Testament we no longer do, right? Most of Leviticus is about like ceremonies and animal sacrifices, and we don't do that anymore. It's not that we don't do it because we're cherry picking. It's we don't do that because we have a theology that understands that these laws are pointing to something greater, Jesus, right? But I still wanna look at that text. So today we're in Leviticus 19, and I really want to just focus in on verse 33 and 34. All right. And verse 33 starts out by saying this. Do not mistreat or oppress the stranger among you. Yeah. Right. But rather treat the stranger as you would treat the native born. Some translations say as you would treat your own citizens. Yeah. And then it goes further and says, love the stranger as yourself. And then it gives us the reason. Yeah, it gives us the reason. And what I find fascinating is that most of the rules in the book of Leviticus end with just a statement, I am the Lord your God. You want to know the reason? Because I told you. Because <laughs> I'm God. And this one definitely has that, right? Like the, the, you're going to find it. But it also, God gives us a reason, which I think is going to center our time together. For you were strangers in Egypt. Yeah, yeah, for you are strangers in Egypt. And so what is God saying about how we treat the stranger? How, what is God saying about how we treat the immigrant? I really think that this is, I like to think about this as three levels and a reason, right? Three levels and a reason. So the first level, right? <laughs> don't mistreat, don't oppress the stranger, right? Level one, the good old do no harm, right? But then it goes to level two, right? Which we're not doing, right? Our country's immigration system is not doing this. Treat the stranger as you would treat one of your own citizens. Treat the stranger as you would treat someone that's native born. Right? What is, what is he saying? Hey, I want you to treat that undocumented immigrant from Ecuador the way you treat that white girl from Edina. I, I want you to treat, hear, hear, me, hear me out here. I want you to treat that teenage son from Mexico like you treat that teenage son from Maple Grove, right? I want you to treat them the same. So the next level is not, don't just harm them, but treat them the same, right? And that's level two. And then we go into level three, which is, and love them as yourself, right? This is a comprehensive look at how we should treat the stranger. Because God has always been on the side of the stranger. But what's beautiful about this passage is that it gives us a reason. For you were strangers in Egypt. And what's interesting about the book of Leviticus is that it was written over actually a course of 200 years. So, yes, there was a portion of people that would have read this book that had been in Egypt. 
that knew what slavery was like, that knew what oppression was like, that knew what pain and mistreatment for hundreds of years was like. Yeah, there was a, a number of people who knew Egypt, who were in Egypt and had that experience. But the majority of people who would read this book, both in the writing of it and in the use of it in Israel, would be people who had never been to Egypt. Which then begs the question, if the majority of people who would hear this aren't affected by it, why would God say it? Yeah, yeah, because there's actually a collective memory that the Jewish people have, right? Right, what happened to Egypt may not have been their story individually, but was still their story, right? What happened in Egypt might not have been their unique experience, but were their unique experience, this collective memory that we have. And then we've rejected that as Americans, right? Right? We reject history as Americans, right? We have all these people who think they're self-made people, but wouldn't be where they are without the family that they had, the cars and house and land and money and education that was given to them, that they were born into, right? That have no memory, no recollection, that think that the story begins when they were born and ends when they die. No, the story is bigger, right? Even though the Jewish people had not all been in Egypt, they were strangers in Egypt. They could connect to the story as well. And right, we have people who say, no, but this is my land, friends. We're on stolen land, right? We have people who say, but they came here illegally. How many treaties were broken for you to be able to be here? How much lying and stealing and killing had to happen for you to have what you have? And you have the audacity to treat the stranger that way. So ultimately, God is saying, you are strangers in Egypt, right? That if we look at our modern context, right? You're either a Native American or your family is an immigrant family. Right? You either come from a line that is uh, immigrant or you're an indigenous person, right? Right? He's actually, God is inviting us. Jesus is inviting us into a collective memory. Yeah, yeah, there are no self-made people. There are only handmade people made by the hands of God. And they're all worthy of love and they're all worthy of welcome. Yeah, yeah, God is on the side of the stranger. But I also think it's not just a collective memory that we're being invited into. We're actually being invited into a personal, radical empathy, right? For you are strangers in Egypt. What's your Egypt, friend? What's your Egypt? What's your place of marginalization? What's that identity that was marginalized and mistreated? What's that season, that moment, that experience that we have? that grounds us so that we can love the stranger as ourself, right? What's that experience? Because yes, you're right. Some of us know what immigration is like, know what the immigration system is like, know what dealing with visas is like. Yeah, some of us have that unique experience, but all of us may have an experience of marginalization. And it's when we tap into that, that we realize how we can love the stranger. And the spiritual principle here is really, really important because the inverse of this scares me, right? The inverse of this reality is that the farther we get away from Egypt, the more likely we are to recreate Egypt in the lives of others. The farther we get away from the point of our marginalization, the easier it somehow it becomes to marginalize others. And I feel that, right? Like, like I feel that. I remember like having the worst year of my life a couple years ago. Everything fell apart. I had to drop out of school. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. And 
and, 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 and I had my parents drive me to work and pick me up from work and I, I didn't have a car. And one day after a long time of that, I bought, I got to buy a car. And it was a cheap car, and it was an old car, and it was a beat up car, and I, I beat it up myself. Like, I, I, like, I didn't know how to be a good, uh, car owner, and I, and I remember having this crappy car where the windshield wipers didn't work, right? I remember having that experience. But then years later, when I had a nice car, right, I could be driving around and I could see someone with the same car I had. And there's a part of me that says, I mean, why don't they have a nicer car? Why don't they fix that thing? Why don't they fix that, 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 that accident they had on their car, man, I mean, I don't, I don't get it. Friends, the farther we get away from Egypt, the easier it is to create Egypt for others. The farther we get away from our point of marginalization, the easier it is to marginalize others. And man, I've, I've heard it, right? I've heard Latino people speak bad about other immigrants, right? I've heard among people speak bad about other immigrants. I've, I've heard uh, many communities that were marginalized as strangers tell other communities that are new that just got here that they they need to get their act together they need to figure it out because we figured it out right no friends it is our strangeness in egypt that prepares us to love the stranger again it's that empathy it's that memory it's that humility that helps us love the stranger as well yeah yeah what's your egypt and how can you use that to have the eyes to see people with the same love God sees them with. Yeah. So yeah, so so if you think about this, how does this how can we imagine a better a better city? How can we imagine a better world? How can we imagine a, a different relationship with the police and ICE? Well, first, I just would kindly submit to you, um, <laughs> let's abolish ICE, okay? Um, like let's let's get rid of it. Like I think people when they hear about getting rid of a department of the government, they're like, oh no, but it's always been with us. Friends, can I just be honest with you? Uh, ICE uh, was started in the year 2003, okay? I don't even listen to music from the year 2003. I'm older than ICE is. And I think I'm pretty cool, but I'm not essential to our country. <laughs> and, and, and we have to stop. We have to stop. We have to stop using deportation as a solution to anything, right? We don't do that to any of our citizens, right? Like, if you don't pay your state taxes, yep, you broke a rule. You broke a law. You might be fined, right? Like you need to, if you miss out on your state taxes, you need to do something about that, right? But what if we made a rule that if you didn't pay your state taxes or you paid them late, that we just kicked you out of the state, right? And we just said, I'm, I'm sorry, we didn't get your state taxes this year. So we are removing you from the state. So you have 30 days to leave the state of Minnesota. And if we catch you, right? We will detain you for months. We will try you for breaking that order. And, and then we will drop you off years later into another state, right? And we could do that, friends. Like they broke a rule, right? Imagine doing that to someone in, 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 in Minnetonka, right? Who didn't pay their state taxes for whatever reason, all right? And so like, hey, sorry, we're deporting you to Iowa now. So, so maybe don't break the rule next time, right? They would say that, they would say that it's unfair. They would say that's wrong, right? The amount of disruption we're creating in a community because when you're not deporting a Mexican, you're deporting a mother. You're not deporting someone from Guatemala. You're deporting a father or a son or a daughter or a child, right? You're destroying families and destroying lives. And, and just because a rule that someone else made was broken does not justify that inhumanity. We have to stop looking at deportations as a solution to anything. Right. And then lastly, I think that we should create paths 
real paths for real people, right? Isn't it like impossible for, for, for someone in our country, impossible for most uh, undocumented immigrants to be right or be legal, right? Or be documented, almost impossible, right? Like you have to marry someone. You have to like, <laughs> like you have to like have a million dollars in the bank. Like I, I, it's just, it's like stupid if you look at the rules, right? And, and we're just saying, we want real paths for people. So a real path for citizenship, for people who have been here for years, who are critical parts of our community, to a, a real path for residency, for people who have been here for a short amount of time, but like need to be able to have a driver's license or a state ID. Do you know how many undocumented immigrants are afraid to even drive their car? Right? Because to do so would be to drive without a license and at times without insurance. And if they were caught, not only are they in trouble for being undocumented, they're in trouble for not having a driver's license, which they weren't able to have because the government didn't allow them to have one, right? Like, like people can go to jail <laughs> because they drove, because they didn't have a piece of paper that they weren't allowed to have, right? Like, we need a real paths for people. We need a path to citizenship, a path to residency. And I could just imagine, right? I could just imagine how different that would feel, right? Like if a city official or an officer encountered, right, an undocumented immigrant, that the answer would not be to have a conflict with them or to arrest them or to deport them, but to give them a pamphlet in Spanish and say, welcome to Minnesota, and to direct them to maybe the Anoka County Government Center or, or the Hennepin County Government Center and say, hey, if you want an ID or a driver's license, that's how you do that. And if you want a path to residency, we'd love to tell you a little bit about that. And for people to, like, I'd love, I just love some classes in their language, right? Some classes in Spanish about our city and what uh, departments and services and programs they need to know about that are relevant to them, right? A class on, on their rights so that their workplace or their school or their neighborhood can't abuse them, right? A class on their responsibility so they know what, what what's being expected of them when they're here, right? Some of the stuff that happens wrong is when someone goes to a different state or a different country and has no idea they're supposed to do something that no one ever told them they had to do. And lastly, I would love like the last class to be an opportunity for them to meet other immigrants and other strangers just like them because we realize that stronger relationships lead to stronger communities and increase the likelihood that they're going to be, be successful and thrive here in our city. And then I'd love for a party, like a state paid for party, right? We get some food from global market, right? Like we, like we celebrate that people are now residents of our city and our state and we welcome them because we are lucky to have them. You see friends, we could welcome people a lot differently. We could love people a lot differently than we are right now. And um, uh, newsflash, it'd probably be cheaper. <laughs> you know, like taking one person, detaining them for months, uh, like going through the court system and deporting them is expensive and it's cruel and it's evil and God is against it. You know, I'd rather just have like a pizza party at the end of like a four week class, you know? <laughs> I'd rather order some Brasa or some Midtown Global Market than pay for, use my tax dollars to pay to destroy the lives and families of others. There's a better way, friends. There is a better way. We can be known for welcoming the stranger like God welcomed us. And so I'll close with this. Um, I remember coming to here and, and living in Ames, Iowa. And I remember, man, I remember, I remember how hard it was at the beginning. But I also remember how some people of faith came along our family 
and welcomed us and loved us. And I remember we started out without much furniture and everything was like a foldable chair that we got at Walmart. And I remember just getting home and there were sofas everywhere. There's sofas, sofas we used for years, sofas that were the foundation of our home for years. And finding out that it was a, a Christian couple that had befriended my dad, who had, who had intersected his story, did life with my dad, and, and realized that faith looks like welcoming the strangers, so they gave us their own sofas. And I remember that kind of welcome. I remember there were Christians in our community that, that knew that we were Christians, but we didn't have a church, that my family was, and it was actually in that church, right, that we had friends, and we had support, that we had connections, that we got help when we didn't know how to do something in this new country. And it was in that community that I became a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian in part because someone in Iowa knew that welcoming the stranger wasn't a woe progressive thing. It was just a biblical principle. It was just a, a human decency, right? Like we had people who understood that it was their job, their calling, their role to love the stranger. Friends, we can get this right, right? I know that we have a, a bad president and a bad immigration system and bad Christians who are, are, are enabling and empowering that, that system. I get that. I see that. I mourn that every day. But here's the thing. You and I, we as a community, we can get this right. We can be known for loving and welcoming the stranger. We can be known for accepting the refugee. We can be known for speaking up for them in a community and in a country where sometimes they don't feel they can speak up because that might get them into trouble. I mean, even just talking about some of the stories I have of immigration, I can't even use their names because fear of retaliation against them. Friend, we can be known for how we love the immigrant. We can be known for how we welcome the stranger. We can be known, right, be, for how we welcome others in the same way that God herself welcomed us. Because we know that we too were strangers in Egypt and we know that from Genesis to Exodus, from the beginning to the end of time, God is on the side of the stranger. Amen.